Welcome into episode 25 of the Ebony Berg Podcast. I'm your host, Jake McDonald. You can find me on Twitter at Jake McDonald 90, or excuse me, McDonald 95 And of course, our site handle, Ebony underscore Bird, the official Baltimore Ravens website on the fan side and network. Of course, check us out at EbonyBird.com and fansided.com as well. I'm just a contributor for Ebony Bird, but we are going to have our two site experts, Chris Schistler at FootballMan58 and Joe Schiller at Joe Schiller with two R's on Twitter. Join us. But first... As we always do, another reminder to download the Emily Bird app from the App Store to get all of your Ravens news, not only on your computer, but your mobile device as well. Let's be honest, instead of going into your internet browser and typing in ebonybird.com, it's easier to just have the app there. And of course, we're all Ravens fans. We're all Ebony Bird fans and fan side as well. Join our network, download the app. We have all of our articles up there, some recent ones, three lessons we can learn from the Eagles, written by Chris himself. Ravens 2018 for agency, what you need to know by Joe. Three steps to getting back to the Super Bowl by Connor Brooks, Connor underscore Brooks 14 on Twitter. And then, of course, coming tomorrow, we had a little bit of discussion in an Ebony Bird group chat earlier. We're going to be breaking down some Ravens mock drafts courtesy of Richard Bradshaw. You can find him on Twitter at Richie Brads with a Z at the end, 36. So let's break it open with the Super Bowl recap. Of course, the Eagles 41 to 33 win over the New England Patriots to win Super Bowl 52. And for the first time ever, the city of Philadelphia has a Lombardi Trophy. We're going to get into all that later, of course, me as well, considering I was in Philadelphia on Sunday night for the game. Uh, we're going to break down the game, and of course, we need to go over the State of the Ravens press conference from last Friday, and we will end with some happy discussion. Of course, there's a lot of uh, happy fan bases, especially in Philadelphia. You know, the toss-up between Philly and Boston, I know, was hard for some Ravens fans. So we will end the podcast on a light note, discussing Ray Lewis getting elected into the 2018 Pro Football Hall of Fame, but I want to go, I want to give a shout out to myself before we get started, myself and staff writer Jonathan Dugan for being the only two of eight staff writers on Ebony Bird to pick the Eagles, you know, I, I honestly, I was leaning more towards Patriots going into the week, um, but certainly now that the game's over and I got my pick right, it certainly feels good. Uh, Patriots, some, just some notes on the game, putting up a Super Bowl record, 613 yards on offense and still losing. There was one point in the game combined, and that was on the Eagles' side. Seven combined penalties, only one committed by the Patriots. Both teams had over 25 first downs, 29 for New England and 25 for Philadelphia. MVP Nick Foles, of course, backup quarterback, who would have funked for the Eagles. 28 for 43 for 373, three touchdowns and interception, including one receiving touchdown. Tom Brady, on the other hand, still a stellar performance, 28 for 48 for 505 yards, a Super Bowl record. Three touchdowns and zero interceptions. Of course, he had the fumble loss on the strip sack by Brandon Graham with 216 left in the fourth quarter. At the time, the Patriots trailed by five, and the Eagles got a field goal after that. So that, of course, set up the Eagles and Patriots territory. So credits uh, Brandon Graham for getting that strip sack on Brady. Corey Clement, running back for the Eagles, the leading receiver, four receptions for 100 yards, a touchdown, Alshon Jeffrey. Zach Ertz and Foles also have touchdown receptions as well. Aguilar had nine receptions for 84 yards. Three Patriots finished with over 100 receiving yards. That'd be Amendola, Chris Hogan, and Gronkowski. Gronkowski, of course, had 116 yards and two touchdowns. Amendola led the way overall with 152 yards. Chris Hogan had a touchdown thrown in there as well. Let's go to some former Ravens. Torrey Smith in the Super Bowl, five receptions for 49 yards. Corey Graham was second on the Eagles with eight tackles, five solo. Timmy Jernigan contributed one tackle, and then New England's Lawrence Guy was third on the Patriots with six tackles. There were a couple Patriots tied for six tackles there, but he did lead the way with three solo tackles, so technically he gets the lead there. So thoughts on the game? We'll go over to Chris and then Joe. I know that was a lot to throw at you, but just some interesting tidbits now. Uh, how are you feeling two days after Super Bowl 
52 with the Eagles now in the city of Philadelphia celebrating a Lombardi trophy for the first time ever, a feeling that Ravens fans in Baltimore are all too familiar with. Yeah, I, I couldn't be happier for Philadelphia. I don't really like either team, but, you know, I was very happy that they beat the Patriots, obviously being a Ravens fan. But I just what a wonderful moment. It was just it was one of those things where the whole way through, you're like, well, I've seen this movie before. You know, the Patriots are never out of it. You're just waiting for the Patriots to sneak away with a win and just frustrate the living daylights out of you. And instead of the movie that we, we've we seen too many times, it was the movie ending. You, it was the script you couldn't have given to a Hollywood executive because he'd say, this is insane. Um, it was that kind of moment. And uh, Nick Foles, honestly, I've never been as surprised as I am by an athlete as I am with Nick Foles. I cannot believe that we're talking about Nick Foles as a Super Bowl MVP. You want to talk about um, Joe Flacco coming out of nowhere to be a Super Bowl MVP? Nick Foles being a Super Bowl MVP and playing, I'm playing Tom Brady, unbelievable. I thought, other than the missed tackles and the general lack of defense, this is a fantastic Super Bowl. That you didn't know what was going to happen until the very end of the game. And Brandon Graham, the play of the – in 10 years, I don't think I've seen a clutch defensive play like that. I mean, that it almost reminded me of when you need an interception, Ed Reed, or when you, you – you know, it's just it was just how the hell did that happen? Unbelievable. It was the only sack of the game. Uh, this was just – it really sparked my passion for football back up, and it really just kind of restored my faith in, in the game. You know, magical moments can happen. It's not just the same old, same old. Um, I had a friend – one of my friends at work was complaining that, oh, it's rigged. You know the Patriots are going to win. Well, you know what? It's a good, good moment for the NFL. Yeah, it sucks to be someone protesting the NFL this year because you missed a really good Super Bowl. It just seems when the Patriots play in the Super Bowl, whether they win or lose, it's just always a must-watch game. I mean, this is a fantastic game. I mean, horrible defense aside, the Eagles did exactly what you do to beat the Patriots, and I was so happy to be wrong with my prediction. They came out firing from the beginning. I mean, Doug Peterson had an aggressive play-calling mentality, and we saw that. And they went up on the, the Patriots the best way they could, and they were dominated on in the passing game and – on the ground as well, and that play call um, that Foles actually called for the pass that Trey Burton threw to him was just brilliant. I mean, they beat the Patriots at their own game, and with Brady missing the catch and then Foles going to um, catch the touchdown was just fantastic. And I mean, just all the way up to the final play of the game where, the, where Brady threw up the Hail Mary. I mean, you were on the edge of your seat because Gronk was maybe a second away from catching that ball, and it possibly going into overtime. So, I mean, it was just an exciting, exciting game throughout. Uh, great to see the Eagles win. Watching the city of Philadelphia celebrate after was almost or it's more entertaining than actually watching the game itself. But um, it's just going to be interesting to see how this Patriots dynasty goes forward. Patricia's gone. Josh McDaniels, we saw tonight, shockingly, back with the Patriots after he um, decided not to become the head coach of the Indianapolis Colts. We'll see how that plays out. But, the Eagles have almost their entire 
starting offense and defense under contract next season. And this is just the beginning for a team that could legitimately win the Super Bowl again with Carson Wentz back. So I think it's the beginning of a very good team in Philadelphia, and I would not be surprised to see them as champions next year. Yeah, you absolutely hit the nail on the head. And as someone who has jokingly said to Eagles fans in the past, I, you know, the, you bring up the whole no rings joke are, you know, gone now, as I'm sure a lot, you know, a lot of my Eagles uh, fan friends have brought that up to me. Very sarcastically also, because I have given them a hard time for having no rings in the past. But uh, it is scary to think about Carson Wentz and what he's going to be able to do when he, when he gets back. And a lot of my, you know, friends or Eagles fans are saying that, hey, we almost we have half as many Super Bowls as you now. It won't be too long before we uh, have more. And they do talk a lot of smack, but if you look at the roster, they don't have a lot of pending free agents right now. It is certainly going to be possible for them to make another run at it this year. And, of course, you know, Joe, you brought up a great point, too, the decision about Josh McDaniels, you know, saying he was going to take the job in Indianapolis. Apparently he had already called his coordinators who signed contracts, put pen to paper, who are still going to apparently be on that coaching staff regardless of who the head coach is going to be. But, man, this is a really interesting situation. And I think it's karma, honestly, for the Colts packing up in the middle of the night and leaving Baltimore. I think this is a little bit of a karma coming their way. And then you also, on, on top of that, you know, this, this, is, this favors the Patriots. This helps them out because, honestly, this has Belichick handing the keys of the castle to McDaniels, which we'll get you know, into later about Ozzie Newsom and Eric DaCosta, which we'll, we'll talk about. But that has that move written all over it. Kraft worked out some sort of deal to pay him more money until Belichick's gone. The writing is on the wall there. But there's also, you know, that, that like I said, that favors New England. But there's also... Maybe a divided locker room. There was a decision by Bill Belichick hours before the game not to play starting quarterback Malcolm Butler. We still don't know why he hasn't played. He's made a statement on social media. A lot of his teammates, including ex-teammates like Jimmy Garoppolo and Jacoby Brissett, have liked his Instagram post that he put up earlier. Tom Brady commented on it in support of him. So it's really, really interesting to see what's going on here. We still don't know what Malcolm Butler did to warrant him being benched. Uh, Something about this just smells fishy to me. I don't know about you. Yeah, it was really weird. I saw some rumors that said he had a bad week of practice and there were some issues with missing a curfew. I mean, obviously that hasn't been confirmed at all, but looks like if that's true, Belichick would have made a coaching decision before the game. And, I mean, not that it changed the outcome of the game because the defense was bad, whether Butler was on the field or not. It was just a really weird move. I mean, I just throughout the whole game, you're asking yourself why Eric Rowe was out there instead of Malcolm Butler, and he found out right before the game. So it was just a weird thing. I mean, I don't think it makes the I don't think the Patriots automatically win if Butler's on the field, but it's one of those things where you're asking yourself why this decision was ever made in the first place, and it's even weirder that we don't know anything about it, and that Belichick declined to say anything about the situation after the game. Yeah, it's a little weird because if you're going to discipline a player and like make a point, why would you do it in the last game of the season, the biggest game of the season? It almost seems like there might have been an ego thing with Belichick. I don't know what's going on there. But there's definitely more problems in New England than we're used to seeing all season long. You have that report about ESPN, how there might be a rift between Brady and Belichick. And I think the players, you know, I think the players are divided. I I mean, I don't want to bring politics into it, but, you know, Belichick and uh, Brady are – our Trumpers or whatever you want to say. And, you know, even on the, there's a lot of people on the Patriots team that can't stand that. Um, and then you've got the Belichick not had any problems there for so long. It just Every coach has an expiration date. You almost have to wonder if he's lost touch with some of his players. And you also have to wonder 
if maybe there's been problems there this whole time and he's just so good at handling it that these kind of things haven't popped up. But Malcolm Butler, honestly, if I'm him, I feel disrespected. And I feel like, hey, I won you a Super Bowl with a great play on the goal line against the Seattle Seahawks. I became a starter. I He's played 90% of the snaps. There's absolutely no reason in my mind that he shouldn't have been on the football field. And I don't know if it makes the difference in terms of the win or loss, but I think the Patriots have a much better chance with him on the field. So there's got to be something, and the excuse we're hearing, just doesn't, it just doesn't work. Certainly very interesting to see what's going to happen, what details will be released throughout the weeks. <clears throat> I guess now on this next episode of the Ebony Bird podcast, I'll tell you a little bit about my journey into Philadelphia this weekend. I was not in Center City like I thought I was going to be. I It turns out the, the day didn't originally go as, as I thought it would, but I did get a lot of footage um, on, on my smartphone after the game, whether it was streaming on Twitter or Instagram. I I thought originally we were going to get to go into uh, Center Philly and, you know, South Street, whatever. We kind of had a late start, which kind of prevented that because by, you know, noon, 1 o'clock, the bars were already packing up. We decided um, after we did get our late start, we went to Maniunk, which is in northwest Philadelphia. It, the main street, you know, extends a far – like I said, I was the guest. I was staying the weekend at my friend's house in Montgomery County, which is about a 20-minute drive from the city. Uh, so we started in this in this town called Maniunk in northwest Philly, had a couple drinks there, and we made our way over to my buddy's. Uh, he had a bunch of – a group of friends from high school. We watched at their house, which was in the city. And I honestly didn't mind that. I thought originally we would be watching at a bar with a, a bunch of loud Eagles fans just shoulder to shoulder, not having any room. I actually enjoyed watching it at somebody's house because it was about 10, 15 people. It was nice and you know, relaxed for the most. They were Eagles fans, but, you know, they, uh, I got a nice view of the game. I got to hear everything, which is, you, don't, you don't always get that at a Super Bowl party. A lot of times people will be talking too much during the game. I didn't have any problem with that at all. I actually could see everything that was going on, which I probably was paying more attention than I would have. Um, if I was at a bar in, in central Philadelphia. But after the game, after the game ended, of course, my friends being all, uh, Eagles fans, my one buddy, I was with two friends, Matt and Aaron. Matt got extremely excited and immediately ran out the door and started running down the street. While Aaron just stayed in the house and kept, uh, watching what was going on on TV. He was staying with, uh, uh, watching the, the Foles MVP thing and everything. And I thought some, I mean, Matt eventually came back, but I just decided to hang with Aaron because I didn't want to lose anybody. I figured if I just, if I, if I went with Matt, I was going to have a better chance of getting lost than I would if I stayed with Aaron. So I just kind of took everything in. I did not, I did not drink. I wanted to be, I wanted to be sober in case anything did happen. Um, but we did eventually go on Main Street and, uh, in Maniunk after the game and I saw plenty of, uh, fireworks being set off, um, on Main Street. I saw plenty of people climbing poles. I have, I have some videos saved on my Snapchat, which I should, uh, put up on Twitter. I did have some, uh, videos of my camera roll saved, just general um, videos of people celebrating. But there were people firing off, you know, bottles of champagne for, for the window. I saw, a, you know, people were just randomly coming up to me and giving me a hug and a high five. And I, I played along because, you know, I, I was there, but I wasn't willingly handing people high fives because I'm not, I'm not an Eagles fan. Um, but definitely saw some people setting off fireworks. I saw some people climbing poles. Very dangerously, very drunk, but the cops didn't care. Uh, I, you know, I was not partaking, but there were people rolling around with, uh, or walking around with alcohol, like just random um, open containers of alcohol and other substances uh, that the cops just didn't, they just didn't uh, do anything. They, in fact, were celebrating a lot with us, and I was high-fiving a couple of cops. 
But I honestly have never seen anything like it. I remember being uh, my junior year of high school, taking the day off and going to see the Super Bowl parade uh, for the Ravens. I remember it being crazy. I remember, you know, being jam-packed inside the stadium, sitting in the upper deck. I, w- I wasn't in the city too much, so I can't really compare how crazy that I mean it is unfair to compare because I don't think the celebration that happened in downtown Baltimore immediately after the Super Bowl was exactly the same as what happened in Philly because this is their first time going through this but you know if I had to take something away from this it makes me appreciate the of the moment like this like I'm happy I went I'm happy I got to experience that moment with my friends because I even not being an Eagles fan and even even though their fans do get on my nerves a lot I just watching that team do what they did for the first time and seeing how much it meant to so many of my friends who had never seen that before, it really made you appreciate it and just take everything in. I'm glad I went. But at the same time, being a Ravens fan, it's still frustrating, and I'm jealous because Baltimore right now appears far from having a, tro- a trophy come to any team, let alone the Ravens. Like, the, the you know, the Orioles and the Terps are far away from having any kind of championship, what have you. But then you have, you know, the Eagles have just won the Super Bowl. They could very well win another one for the next few years. The Phillies are up on the rise, as are the 76ers. But then again, Baltimore doesn't have a basketball or a hockey team to fall back on if, you know, the other two teams aren't doing well. So while I did appreciate the moment and I had a good time, there was still a part of me that said, man, I wish this could happen soon in Baltimore. And it was, it's frustrating because I don't think it's going to anytime soon. That's, that's awesome, Jake. That's, that's awesome. I was just taking it in because I was – it was a lot. It was cool. I'm really glad that you got to do that, and I'm really proud of you for keeping your head, it sounds like, during all that. Um, my question to you was, uh, I had a friend uh, at work ask me, like, why are they destroying their city? Why are they destroying their city? And I was like, I don't know. I don't really know if they're destroying their city. Was there violence, or was it Jake, or was it pretty much just everyone to high-fiving and just having fun? Well, the the part, I mean, the part I was at, I mean, it was probably the same um, as terms of the hype from where I was down to Center City. I did not see for myself any fights. Um, there were, I didn't see anything other than Eagles gear. I myself was wearing, like I said, I was impartial. I had a Comcast hat and a black, a black coat with a green T-shirt. So I, I was pretty impartial. I myself did not witness any fights. There was some pushing and shoving. The one time I almost got... Um, there was one thing I almost got involved in, not a fight, but there was somebody knocking um, some sort of tree or shrub down near me, and if I hadn't gotten out of the way, I probably would have gotten cut in the face. Um, so you just had to be you had to be on the lookout for stuff like that going on, but I personally didn't witness any violence at all. I know there were fires, and I know there were explosions uh, in Center City, and actually there were people at, at my university in Bloomsburg even, the bunch of Eagles fans went out and burned two couches downtown on on this random back street. So it wasn't just in Philadelphia. It was around the entire state. But I, to, to answer your question, I didn't see anything violent, but I'm sure there's there's all sorts of videos. Ever since I got back yesterday, I've been I've been playing catch up, but I'm sure there's all sorts of videos on Phil, in, you know about Philadelphia, uh, some violence. But for the most part, I think it's not as bad as what many people were anticipating. Yeah, I was I watched videos pretty much the entire night. The only one I really saw was the awning on the Ritz-Carlton looks like it had about 50 people on it and collapsed. There. Yeah, I, mean, I saw people just knocking down light poles and stuff. I mean, what do you expect when people when they win their first Super Bowl? I mean, I wasn't surprised. We knew this was going to happen probably whether they won or lost. Like, the city of Philadelphia was just going to go insane. So, 
I mean, that's why they went and greased up light poles and did everything before. I mean, it's not really too surprising. I mean, I thought it was thoroughly entertaining watching all the people celebrating, and they could have filled up the uh, M&T Bank Stadium for the entire 16 or 8-game season if they wanted to. I mean, just watching this as a Ravens fan, like you said, Jake, it's, I'm jealous. Like, if you, we can barely get um, fans to fill up the stadium, and they go down the entire city and – Hundreds of thousands of fans just everywhere celebrating. I mean, it sucks watching it from your phone and thinking, I wish this was the Baltimore Ravens. And I think a lot of that passion for the team is not there right now from the fan base. So I think there's a really big disconnect from the fan base to the organization. I really hope that's changed soon. I think that has a lot of factors that go into it. But just watching it, you just think, man, I wish that was my team. Like, you're just, I'm just thoroughly jealous. I actually was wondering, like, and what does it say about the Ravens that they're the Ravens fans? That the Eagles have never won a Super Bowl. They've been that team that has always gotten so close and lost, and they're going bananas. I mean, Eagles fans have never given up one bit, and they've had a lot of years where they just team pummels them, and we can't even take a nine and seven season. I mean, I, I I'm frustrated too, but it's just I. I want them to keep stadium packed. I want there to be an energy about this team. And I, I like you guys are saying, I don't see it. And I don't see it coming back. And I don't understand why. Look, look at what they have, though. They have a, a young franchise quarterback that was finished around the top of the league. Their roster altogether is just loaded with playmakers. I mean, their, their, their offensive line kept the course, you know, even suffering injuries. But running backs, tight ends, receivers, all loaded and everybody playing well. Same thing on defense. Like, they have – a loaded roster, and I think if the Ravens had a loaded roster, we'd see a little bit of a different turnout, but that's not the case right now. Yeah, and I think a lot of Ravens fans are spoiled, too. I mean, from when John Harbaugh and Joe Flacco came in. Yeah, yeah, played. Yep. yeah I mean, they've been, they went to the playoffs um, and won the Super Bowl for for quite some time, and when you stop winning like that, and with the product on the field, no one wants to watch Rashad Perryman, Jeremy Macklin, and those guys drop passes and watch an anemic offense. I think that has a part to do with it, so... Yeah, I mean, the Eagles have a lot to be excited about, and I think that speaks to them as their front office. They were pretty terrible not too long ago and turned around in, like, two to three years with some good drafting, a lot of good free agency acquisitions. So, I mean, it can be done. I mean, they have a blueprint that I think a lot of teams are going to try to follow, and I think the Ravens should be one of those, hopefully. Well, shifting our focus to the Ravens now, of course, this is the Ebony Bird Podcast. Again, you can follow us on Twitter at Ebony underscore Bird as well as EbonyBird.com. Check us out on iTunes, Block Talk Radio. Subscribe to the podcast, give us a five-star review, all that good stuff, and check us out on Twitter individually. I am McDonald 95 Chris is FootballMan58, and Joe Schuler is Joe Schuler with two R's out on Twitter. Of course, the Ravens holding their state of the Ravens press conference with just Steve Bishotti this past Friday, a couple days ago now. Uh, but the big news coming out of the weekend, Ozzie Newsom, the general manager of the Ravens, been in that role since the team's inception in 1996 to step down as the Ravens general manager after the 2018 season with Assistant General Manager Eric DaCosta, who's also been with the team since the inception in 96, he'll take over as a general manager with Ozzie Newsom hanging around in, to scout and help with the DaCosta transition in some sort of role, but he is not going to retire, although he will not be the GM anymore. This was a move that was apparently made following the conclusion of the 2013 season. There was a five-year extension on Ozzie's contract, and then this is the final year coming up. And then, of course, to go along with that, I'm just going to run down everything, and I'll shoot it over to you guys. Bashadi not seeming too concerned with the London protests. He pointed 
to the rest of the NFL's problems in response to questions about the decreased attendance, a quote from him, I do think the protests were significant, and I do think that it hurt and insulted a lot of our fan base. I understand that, but I am supportive of our players. He then on one to say he wishes he had chosen, the, the players had chosen a different method of protesting. He pointed to losing and a lack of exciting brand of football turning attendance more than anything, which we kind of just talked about in our uh, assessment of the Eagles as compared to the Ravens. Uh, there was a question asked if the Ravens are stagnant after missing the playoffs four out of five years. Bashadi turned that down immediately and said the Ravens are disappointed, embarrassed, and determined, but not stagnant. When he was asked about firing Harbaugh after missing the playoffs uh, more recently than not, he said, it was certainly a consideration, but not one that I was inclined to make this year. And then lastly, I will leave uh, with this quote from him. You can be assured that the majority of our attention will be on offense this year, which I have no idea if I believe that or not, considering what we've witnessed the past couple of offseasons. So what went through your mind as you watched the Bashadi press conference a couple of days ago, and how are you feeling about everything that he said a couple of days after the fact? I sure hope they're going to focus on offense. I can't believe it took this long for someone to come out and actually say it, but that's just nice to know. I mean, the one thing you said about Harbaugh, I mean, I tweeted out a couple of days ago, after missing the playoffs three years in a row, I hope you would consider firing your head coach. I mean, for an organization that prides himself on winning and winning Super Bowls, if you're not winning and continually missing the playoffs, I don't care how good your coach is, you gotta, that's got to pop into your mind no matter what. Um, I think he was very defensive with a lot of things. I mean, I just wonder as a team that I get that Pachari is a competitor. He wants to win. He wants to see this team win. Like, we all want to see the, the Ravens win. But at some point, will you, will you accept the fact that a lot of the continuity you're keeping is just not that good? I don't know. I feel like the Ravens are just so stubborn when it comes to this kind of stuff because of all their past success that they don't want to be one of those teams that admits, hey, maybe we do need to blow things up. Maybe we do need to um, start things over and look towards the future. But it seems like from everything I took away from his press conference, that's not how he looks going into the 2018 season, which is fine. I get they still have pieces. Flacco's still there. A lot of the key veterans are still there. They maybe have another year just to kind of feel it out, see if they can make another run. It's going to be tough with how good some of the other teams are and just how I mean, just a lot of the needs the Ravens have. But I don't know. It's I don't know if I feel any better from it. I don't think I really expected a lot going into it. Credit to him for standing up and taking some of the questions, but I still feel like we, there's a lot of things unanswered going into the off season, and it's one of those situations where you can tell me all you want that you're going to do this, but I'm not going to believe it until I actually see it happen. Yeah, I I think Steve Bashadi is a really likable person, and that comes across. I I think he came off as honest. He came off as you know not really kicking around the questions, but actually answering them. I didn't like some of the answers, but this was good. This was good. It wasn't exactly what I wanted, and I didn't hear everything I wanted to hear. But what I liked about Steve Bashadi's press conference was he seemed pretty darn sure of his answers. He seemed pretty confident in what he was saying, which makes me think, hey, they got together, they had a plan. I feel like that he took the month. He said he needed the month. Uh, he needed time. Um, uh, he didn't do anything rash. And I think he probably is time to blow things up, but, you know, he doesn't think so. And I also like that he didn't say, oh, well, if they don't go to playoffs or not, because he's not going to give that kind of an edict to his uh, coaching staff. And the reason I like that is because you don't really need to tell John Harbaugh he needs to be successful. I mean, he needs to be successful. It's getting, it's getting old. 
And, you know, it just seems like empty words if you were going to do that. So I really like that. And I also, one thing I want to hone it on is he, he really backed Joe. I, I was shocked at how much he backed Joe Flacco. I mean, he talked about the back injury, gave the built-in excuse. He, uh, another thing he shot he did, but he, he said in the second half of the season, if we could re- replicate that, we'd be playing, the, uh, in February. I mean, he has a lot of confidence. I actually think he has more confidence in Joe than any of us do. Um, or at least he's saying he does. And that quarterback is an, uh, an area of need. Uh, so that was interesting. Just, I, I'm not mad, madder than I was. And I'm not exactly relieved, but I like Steve Bishotti and I, I, I like that he actually answered questions that he probably didn't want to. This is going to be over to Chris and then Joe for this one. Uh, just some follow-up on how you're feeling about the Ozzie Newsom announcement. I personally, I was expecting this all along. Of course, with Eric DaCosta turning down all these job offers over the years, most recently the Packers, the writing was on the wall. I have no, I really don't have a, an opinion on it. I, I think it's just going to be the same thing that we've seen the past 20 years, maybe a little bit of a different spin on things now that DaCosta is actually going to have control of the 53-man roster. But the fact that, he sat behind Newsom for 22 years and seen him operate uh, the, the team. He's gonna he's gonna have a good, uh, I guess, bearing on what is entitled with the job. I, I guess there's a little bit of un, of uneasiness there because it is a new name, but Ozzy's getting up there in age. It was time. I think it's time to make a transition, and I'm excited to see what Dacosta can do. I'm excited to see the difference with Dacosta. There's you can put two people who've worked together forever. You can put two people in. They, they will not. There's no two people who are going to agree on everything. And Newsom has a final say. I want to know what's different in DeCosta's decision making than in Newsom's decision making. That's the key. I I want to see what's different, and this, that we finally get a chance to. I've always said DeCosta deserves a shot to be the general manager, but we also need to see if he can be the general manager. So moving forward after this season, you're going to get to Costa, whether you like it or not. And I think that's something that's just relieving because now we don't have it holding over the Ravens organization of when is it going to happen. We know when it's going to happen. We know they're really starting the transition this year because, I mean, this is almost like the dry run. I, I think the Costa's voice is going to be heavier than it has been in the past because He's the one who has to deal with it moving forward. So uh, I'm happy with it. Uh, I want to make one thing clear. I don't. I think Newsom gets a lot of blame, and he deserves a lot of blame. But I think people are quick to blame him and forget all the things he's done for this franchise, and also forget how awesome of a person he is. That Gazi Newsom is a is a role model. He's an awesome guy, and he does not get enough credit for what he's done. He built teams that gone to the playoffs. Unbelievable. <laughs> he's just done an unbelievable job. Um, and his record, of, as considering how long it's been, measures up against almost anybody's. I was just going to agree with what you guys were saying. I mean, I'm not, I'm kind of indifferent about it. I don't, I mean, it's just one of the situations where we knew it was going to happen. It was just a matter of when it was going to happen. And I think it's going to be interesting to see how Ozzy transitions into his role because he said he's going to be taking, a, I guess, a smaller role within the organization. They said they were going to make him the highest-paid scout. 
uh, on the team. But I wonder if it's one of those situations where Ozzy wants to still be around or it's one of those situations where DaCosta feels like he still needs Ozzy around. I kind of want to hear from DaCosta himself to kind of get a feel with his situation because he's obviously been under Ozzy's wing since he was promoted to assistant general manager in 2012. And like Chris said, I think it's going to be more of a dry run this year with him getting a bigger opportunity and a bigger say in the draft room. So I wonder if there's going to be any stepping on toes. I don't know. Maybe it's a reach to say something like that. But with the guy who's been the face of the franchise as general manager for 22 years, it feels really tough for him just to take a backseat role all of a sudden. And I know they had it planned out, but I don't know. It just Part of me thinks that it's going to be an interesting transition of power going from Ozzy to the top set. Yeah, that's, that's something I didn't think about, just the dynamic it's going to have still having um, Ozzy Newsome there, even though he's not going to be acting general manager. I'm certainly interested to hear what uh, role he's going to take. But all things being said, uh, always have the utmost respect for Ozzy. He's done a hell of a job. He's been one of the best GMs dating back to the team's inception. But we've seen him have some health scares here recently. He's getting into his sixth season. It might be time, especially after missing the playoffs four out of five seasons, to get a younger uh, mind in the general manager position, a younger mind to control the 53-man roster and to help point this football team back to the playoffs. But all hats off to Ozzy Newsome for a hell of a job. I'm looking forward to watching the last year of him being the official general manager of the Baltimore Ravens. So moving on now to our last topic on the Ebony Bird podcast. Of course, it was announced on Saturday night that Ray Lewis was going to be elected to the Pro Football Hall of Fame class of 2018. Of course, Ray Lewis and Jonathan Ogden, the first two Ravens ever drafted by Ozzy Newsome and Ogden got in the Hall of Fame two years ago, and Ray Lewis is going to follow him in a couple of se- in a couple of months now. I know I certainly am planning on getting some sort of way to get over to Canton for the Hall of Fame ceremony. It's certainly going to be a good time. It just just says it all right here. This is a star-studded class. Uh, Brian Erlacher, Randy Moss, uh, T.O., so many, Brian Dawkins, so many deserving guys getting into the Hall of Fame. I know I talked to a lot of my friends or Eagles fans that were happy about particularly Brian Dawkins getting in. But this is a great class, uh, one of the best of all time, but definitely the best Raven of all time. Ed Reed's going to be eligible uh, you know, n- next year. He's a lot to get in. Um, but still a little bit of reflection now on the career of Ray Lewis. I can remember you know, just, just watching him come out of the tunnel and do the hot in here dance for the first time, and I was just immediately hooked. He had so much passion. We could talk about his leadership all day. Uh, my two favorite moments in sports from being um, at events that I'll always remember forever are uh, the first one is Delman Young's base-clearing double in the uh, divisional round in the 2014 playoffs for the Orioles. And the other is being in the M&T Bank Stadium the last time Ray Lewis did the dance. I was in the upper deck. I didn't have the greatest fan, uh, viewpoint, but I still got to be there for that. And every time I watched Ray Lewis come out of the tunnel, I was ready to just put on a jersey and pad and go hit somebody out on the field. I don't care if they were 100 pounds heavier than me. Um, but... I don't know if we're ever going to see another player like Ray Lewis again. Certainly not Ray Lewis, but you talk about the leadership uh, he had in the locker room, how he uh, mentored younger players. Just the attitude and the vibe he gave the locker room, I think, is something the Ravens have really missed since he left, and I don't know how they're going to replicate it. I know that he's had some failures um, off the field as far as his gig at ESPN. I know that didn't pan out. I know he's had some run-ins with the Ravens that haven't really gone in their favor um, and maybe it's best for the two sides to maybe be distant for a little bit. But still, to see him get this recognition, to see him in a couple of months, I'm sure the Hall of Fame speech is going to be great, just like of uh, just how Ray Lewis has always been great. But definitely one of my favorite players of all time. 
I have a handful of Ravens that are all my favorites of all time, but he's certainly in my top two. Uh, we'll go over to Chris and then Joe. Just some thoughts on Ray Lewis to close out the podcast. Oh, my goodness. You're going to get me excited thinking about Ray Lewis. Uh, I mean, I grew up watching the Ravens. I I came into it when I was 10 years old, and we were in a touchdown drought, and I, did, and I was just starting to really become a fan, and I'm thinking, man, my team can't score at all. And I grew, grew to love defense, and I grew to love it, and that year we won the Super Bowl. And, you know, Ray Lewis, he was one of those players that really, you know, I, I took a lot from. Uh, I used to do the Ray Lewis dance every time I got excited. In fact, I got in trouble at school sometimes because I just couldn't contain contain the Ray Lewis dance when I get excited. Uh, <laughs> I was uh, just, I've never, I always wanted to be him. I always wanted to be, I wanted to be a linebacker so bad. I wanted to be a linebacker so bad. I ended up being a defense tackle and not, and not a very good one. But, <laughs> I think the fourth and two, where, where he just jacked up there and Sproles is the best play I've ever seen from a linebacker. I remember him stealing the ball from Eddie George. Um, the winning two Super Bowls, especially walking out after saying he said, this is going to be my last ride, and walking out of the sunset with a second Super Bowl ring that ended up with a goal line stand. I know – the defense really wasn't the reason we won that game, but you couldn't have had a better end for Ray Lewis' career than that. And I don't think there's ever going to be a single player in the history of any sport that is going to care that is more than Ray Lewis, that's going to work harder than Ray Lewis, that's going to make everybody around him better. I mean, that's, that's the number one thing Ray Lewis did. He made the entire team just electrified and accountable and inspired. I mean, he's just, you can't get better than Ray Lewis. I, I don't know if he's the greatest football player of all time. I'm biased. I have a hard time not saying he is, but he's definitely the greatest middle linebacker, and he will always be the best Baltimore Ray. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't really know. I don't really know. I'm going to follow it up with all the things you guys have said because, I mean, they're all so true about Ray Lewis, but – I mean, just from my personal standpoint, I mean, he's the reason that me and just so many other Ravens fans became fans and just their love for the organization. I mean, number 52 will always be the most popular jersey you see Ravens fans wearing for the foreseeable future. I mean, every time I go to a Ravens game, I mean, if I had money for every time I saw a number 52 jersey, I'd be rich because, I mean, everyone loves Ray Lewis. I mean, anyone who hates him, like we've talked about before, always point to that one off-the-field issue. And, I mean, this is it's just – I, I just can't deal with that anymore. It's, all that noise is just they only have one thing to say about Ray Lewis, and it was just that one incident. There's so many good things about him, what he did off the field, what he did on the field. I mean, he was such an incredible football player. I mean, the only other guy to have an, a statue outside of M&T Bank Stadium other than Johnny United. I mean, he's the greatest Raven of all time. And to have your first and second pick in franchise history go to the whole thing, it's just another good thing to say about Ozzie Newsom, like we were just talking about. No other franchise can be can say that. I mean, it's just incredible. He's had so many great memories. We could spend, we could have a five-hour-long podcast talking about every good Ray Lewis moment because he's brought us just so much joy. I mean, his dance, everything. I mean, you guys hit the nail on the head. I don't really have anything else to say other than just how great of a player Ray Lewis was, and he'll forever be the greatest Ray of all time. 
And, yep, so we have that to look forward to. That's certainly going to be something we'll talk about over the summer is when Ray Lewis does actually get inducted in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And it will be possibly the Ravens going to get to play in that fifth preseason game in the Hall of Fame game. Certainly must see football there, as I say sarcastically. But, but I mean, hey, that's going to be the next football we see. We don't have any football for the next few months. I have no idea what the hell I'm going to do on Sunday now. I know what I'm doing every Sunday. I'm scouting for the draft. I'm probably doing it every day. I'm going to tweet Jarvis Landry every Sunday, and hopefully he comes to Raiders. All right. Yeah, I might have to do that, too. So with that being said, we will wrap up this edition of the Ebony Bird Podcast. Again, I'm your host, contributor Jake McDonald. You can find me at jmcdonald95 on Twitter. Chris is FootballMan58, and Joe is Joe Schiller with two R's. Be sure to find us out on Twitter at ebony underscore bird, of course, ebonybird.com, the official Baltimore Ravens affiliate through Fan Sided, and of course, you can download the Ebony Bird app with all of our content through your mobile device and subscribe to the podcast through iTunes and Blog Talk Radio. So now that the, I mean, the Ravens haven't been playing for a few weeks, I can't. I need to come up with something new to say after the podcast. So with that being said, hope you enjoyed the Super Bowl. If you're, if we know anybody that listens to this podcast that's going to be in Philadelphia for the parade on Thursday, please be careful, and we will see you next week right here on the Ebony Bird Podcast.